You know, heaven is a place many people expect to go there. If you were to ever take a microphone and walk down the streets of New York City or wherever you live, and you ask the average person about heaven, um, and then you ask them the question about if there's a place like heaven, will you go there? Most people will respond and say, I think I'll go there. Or they'll say, I think I'm good enough to go there. You know, um, rarely you will find anybody coming out and saying, no, nah, I'm pretty much going to go straight to hell. <laughs> right? You're you're probably not going to find many people saying that everybody uh, expects to go to a place called heaven. Everybody's expecting that in the afterlife, they're going to go to some type of eternal bliss where, uh, you know, life will be better. That uh, answer <clears throat> shows me several things. Uh, It shows me that, number one, there's an expectancy in people that this is not all there is. It's innate in us. You know, when we look around the world and we see all of the crazy stuff that's happening in the world, you get the sense that there's got to be more than this. And so for most people, you see that. As a matter of fact, most religions around the world, and if you ever study how we got religions and how different religions were formulated as people begun to spread all over the world and men became further, further from God, one thing is in a pretty much present uh, behind every religion. Why, why most people join a religion is because the thought is that there is something after, even in pagan religions, right? Uh, beyond Christianity. So take, for example, the Vikings believed in a Valhalla, <laughs> where they will spend eternity with Odin in the great halls, right? You look at the Buddhists who, uh, might not necessarily believe in a God per se like us, but they believe that, uh, if you live a certain way, eventually you can achieve enlightenment and receive some type of fulfillment and become one with the universe, which in a sense is like a heaven, a, a eternal state of resting in bliss. Um, And I could go down the line and point out many religions. The point I'm trying to make is, is that most people have an expectancy that there there is more. And the truth is, when you look at the fallen world, if this is all there is, then life is really miserable. To come into worlds filled with pandemic, filled with sickness, filled with hatred, filled with bitterness, filled with, you know, and then you tell me the meaning of life is to chase my dreams and become rich, then die. What is... If that's all there is, if that's all there is to life to become famous and then die so that the next generation may know my name, then we don't have much to really live for. And that's the beauty of the cross. The cross of Jesus comes along and says there is more. There is more to life. And so you will see that in people, right? Most people will respond that it, it, this place, heaven, is a place they believe they're going to go to. The problem is this, though, ladies and gentlemen, is that you, the concept of heaven didn't come from you. And so because it didn't come from you, you don't really get to determine, hallelujah, who gets in and how they get in, right? For many of us, we, you know, you, 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 it's like, it's like me having created a, an exclusive club and I set the rules of who can enter. The man on the street does not determine that. The owner of the thing determines it. And for many people, 
Here's what I want you to think about. If there is a place, and I believe there is with all my heart, according to scripture, that we will spend forever, then you want to make sure, number one, that you're going to get in, not on your terms, but on the one who owns the place, his terms. Amen. Here's the, here's a sad truth that even though many people think they are good enough for heaven, here's a sobering reminder in the book of Matthew chapter seven, verse number 13. Hallelujah. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So the Bible says there are two, two gates, two roads. One is broad and one is narrow. And the reality is most people think they're on a narrow gate, but in actuality, many people are on the broad gate right? The broad road. And in life, there's only two roads. There's you, And you can't drive in both. <laughs> you can't go in two directions. You can't go backwards and forwards at the same time. There is a road that you have to choose. And the Bible says that even though you might take a microphone down and walk down the street and everybody says, I think I'm going to go in. The Bible says the sad reality is, is that not a lot of people are finding the road that leads to eternal life. Because that road is very narrow. It's a tough road. It's a road that the, the, the broad road has everything. All the ideologies, all the philosophers, everybody who thinks they have the meaning of life. And so people kind of invent their own path and they end up on a broad road. But those that follow Jesus, hallelujah, they find the path to eternal life. Now, when you are talking about living somewhere forever, you want to make sure that you are right about it. Because if you're wrong about it, you will be wrong about it for a long time. I'm going to say that again. If you're talking about living somewhere forever for eternity, you better be right. Because you're going to be wrong for eternity. Amen. So I think if you lived on planet Earth, it is very important that you take the time to ask yourself these hard questions. Is my life in a place where I am ready for eternity? Is my life pleasing to God? What does it mean to really please God? What does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Am I just put here to make Jesus my servant or am I put here to serve him? Is there greater things happening? Is one day will all this be restored? And if it is restored, how do I make sure I'm part of that restoration? Well, let's go to the scriptures today to see what the Bible says about heaven. In the book of John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus is talking and he says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I want to say something right there. Anytime Jesus say, don't worry, is because Jesus knows more than you and I. Amen. God can look at you and tell you not to worry because he knows more than you and I. It reminds me of my relationship with my son, Shai Elisha Ishmael. Shai would want something and I would already know that I've got the thing secured for him. He doesn't know that. I do. And whenever I tell him not to worry, this boy does nothing other than worry. <laughs> he complains. He argues. He fights. 
But with confidence, I can say to him, don't worry. And sometimes he would even ask me, dad, how could you say not to worry? Well, because I've got a point of view of the end result that you don't have, Shai. And so when Jesus says to, to, to you and I, don't worry, you can take that to the bank and cash that check. Because here's why. He's got a better point of view to, than you and I. And so he was talking to his disciples here in John 14.1. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust. Can you put the scripture up for me? Uh, trust in God and trust also in me. Hallelujah. He says here, and I want you all to pay attention to this. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, Jesus is talking there and he says to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled because he knows they're going to see him crucified. He knows they're going to go through persecution. He knows that life is filled with hardship and life is filled with anxiety. Life is filled with the roller coaster ride uh, that we faced every day. But he says to his disciples and he's saying you to, to you today, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be dismayed by all that you face in life. You know, I think back on my own life as I'm preaching this to you. I lost my dad of a heart attack. That was very troubling. I watched an aunt of mine die from cancer, a faithful aunt who served the Lord. During the pandemic, I watched a cousin die on a ventilator. Watch his body, his organs shut down. It is very easy to get discouraged and dismayed. To begin to wonder, what is the point of all of this? I've watched people become blessed. I've watched people become broke. I've watched homes destroyed. I've watched people really struggle to find joy in life. I see people doing a lot in hopes that the, the things they do will bring them some type of joy. Jesus stops in the middle of all of that and he says to all of that, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Jesus is saying to you today that there's, there's coming a day when this is all over. And then he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, many people misunderstand that. They, they think, well, if heaven is there, why does he have to go to prepare a place? Well, you, the, the reason we misunderstand is because of that word prepare, we think it means he's going to build a place for us. It doesn't mean Jesus is not saying, I'm going to go now and build a place for you. He says the, the, the house is there. And the mansions are there. So what he means when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you is the same as if I invited a guest to New York City to preach for me and I booked him a room at the hotel. And when he arrives, I said, let me go in and prepare the place for you. In other words, let me go to the front desk and secure your room. 
And so when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place, he is saying this to his disciples. And he's talking in context of, I'm going to die. So when you see me die, I am actually at heaven's front desk putting your name on the reservation. Hallelujah, somebody. Somebody type hallelujah. The reason Jesus died was to secure your room in heaven. Hallelujah. And so he said, I'm going to prepare your place that where I am, there you may be also. So the first thing we know about heaven is that the only reason we're going to go there is because Jesus has secured a place, not because of any of our accomplishments, not because of all the things we think we're good at or our degrees or whatever we might have attained. The only reason you and I are going to enter into eternal glory is because Jesus has secured your room. He has made reservations for you by the shed blood of the cross. Somebody give God a praise for the blood of Jesus that has secured my spot. Matter of fact, somebody in the chat room ought to type right now, my name is on the reservation list. I've got a room. Hallelujah. That is prepared for me. Amen. And so Jesus says, I'm going to this place. The other thing I want you to notice in that scripture is the amount of times he says, uh, there's a place. I'm going to this place. This is a place. And the thing about that is it, it's heaven is not a concept. For most people on planet Earth, I had a conversation the other day. I told you about where a brother said to me, heaven and hell is right here on Earth. I told him the problem with that is that he didn't invent the concept heaven and he didn't invent the concept hell. So he doesn't get to determine where it is. And you don't get to, philo uh, 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 to make it a philosophical idea. Hell and heaven are biblical concepts. And what the Bible says about heaven here is that it is an actual place. The best way to describe it is it's a place where God is. Hallelujah. And, and so oftentimes when you read the Bible, we read like in, uh, in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens. Well, that's not the same as eternity. Heavens uh, uh, has many meanings in the Bible. So, for example, when the Bible says God created the heavens, he's talking about the firmament or the sky. So when you say as far as the heavens is, he's talking about the sky, right? The heavens and the earth. But heaven in context of eternity is a place uh, that is very real. And it is, it is not only a place, but it is on a different plane. To access it, we, we leave this life and go to that life. But without, you know, because this will take a, a long Bible study. To fast forward, though, eventually that world, heaven, will merge with this one. And I want to read in Revelation 21 and show you what eventually God describes as the place where you and I will live forever. Right. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, I want to just read it and um, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here. So let's read together in Revelation, chapter 21. John is writing 
And he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Heaven here is dealing with the sky and earth is dealing with the planet. They had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared. Remember, Jesus said that I go to do what? Prepare a place prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And we know the church is the bride of Christ. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, the church. Right. And look at this. He said, uh, I prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse three says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away tears from their eyes. They will no be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it is done. There was another time those words were spoken and that was on the cross when he said, it is finished. And then he says, I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be uh, consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 9 says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the, mount, uh, in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like, uh, was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as silver. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. They gave a description of the city, right? So now we're at 21. Each gate made of single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure and as transparent glass. I did not see the temple in the city, because we know in Jerusalem there's a temple. So John was obviously looking for the temple. And the reason he didn't see it, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Hallelujah. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its light, is its lamp. 
Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Hallelujah. There's a lot there to digest. There's a lot there. First thing I want to talk to you about is, you know, every good story has a grand ending. One of my favorite stories is uh, the, the Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings starts out, well, it starts out with the book, The Hobbit. <laughs> and from The Hobbit, then came the, the trilogy of the book, uh, Lord of the Rings. The thing about it is it starts off and you have no idea where it's going. And in the story are all these little stories, little stories, little stories, little stories, little stories. And then you get to the grand ending. And the grand ending is supposed to tell you where this all was going. That's what makes good literature. I want you to know that the Bible is telling you in the last two chapters where this is all going. You know, the Bible is a book of history, but it's unlike every other book because it starts history from the beginning of time. There's not another history book that does that. It tells you what it was like in the beginning. And then it tells you the story of humanity and how we got here. And in it, it explains to you why men have become corrupted. It's because of sin. It's because of all that is happening. And then it tells you all these stories and then it finally gets to Revelation. And what makes this book different from every history book is not only that it starts from the beginning, but it goes past where we currently are right now. It goes to the end. It's the only book that tells mankind exactly what's happening with mankind. It can be trusted. And when you get to the end and you look at all the death and plagues and famine and everything else that reigned on planet Earth and you say, how is this going to end? It tells you how it's going to end. John is getting these revelations. And as he's getting them, the angel of the Lord that has given him the tour begins to tell him, I need you to write this. In the chapter before, sin and death and hell was cast into the lake of fire and Satan, and it was done. And God says to him, write what you see. And John begins to write what he sees. And as he's writing, I want to show you something. Do you notice, have you noticed that exactly what was in Eden has been restored in other words, I've got a picture down there, uh, Sevi. It's the last picture. This is a picture. If you look at this picture, it's a picture of a burning building on the left side, right? It's a building that was destroyed. It was a building that was 
damaged by fire. It went through hardship. It went through tragedy. It went through everything that could be thrown at it. And on the left side, that's what it looked like. Chaotic. I want you to know that in the beginning when God made the world, it was perfect. But it is safe to say that the world looks like that now. With racism and death and famine and pestilence and governments fighting and people fighting and just the chaos. And when you get to Revelation 22, the picture on the right is what God says I'm going to do. Behold, I make all things new. That what was once there, hallelujah, God will restore. You see, ladies and gentlemen, look at the similarities. In the beginning, in Genesis, the Bible starts with a wedding. A wedding between Adam and Eve. In Revelation, the Bible ends with a wedding between Jesus and his bride. Hallelujah. In the beginning, the world was perfect. There was no impurity. Nothing there to, to, to destroy man. In the ending, there will be no impurity. Hallelujah. In the beginning, there was a tree of life. In the ending, there is a tree of life. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. In the ending, the lamb is the light. In the beginning, there were only rivers that flowed through the garden. In the end, there's a river of life flowing through. There's so many similarities. And then finally, in the beginning, God used to come and dwell with men. In the end, God will come and permanently make his dwelling place. No visitation. In the garden, he used to visit in the cool of the day. In the end, it is his home. Hallelujah. Eden is restored in paradise. And if you notice, the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven. In other words, there is a place now that heaven is in a different plane. It's in the afterlife. But God, make no mistakes about it, meant for mankind to be fruitful and reign on earth. And all of it is coming back to planet earth. Amen. So the story uh, has a grand ending of how God will give a restoration and make all things new. You know, you don't have to wait for heaven to begin to experience that restoration. You know, God can take your life today and take the broken parts and begin to restore what the enemy tried to destroy. In you. Hallelujah. God can begin to restore. He's that type of God. He can begin to redeem. He can begin to transform and change your life today if you would let him. And the story has a, a, a grand ending where there will be new heavens and new earth. You know, many of uh, the leaders of the world today tell us that the greatest threat we face, and they say it like this, the greatest, ex <laughs> I can't even say the word, ecstasy. Potential threat that faces mankind is climate change. And they tell us that climate change is going to destroy the world. They told me that 
in 2000, we were going to die. Then they told us in 2012, and now they're saying 12 years later. Now, don't get me wrong. We must care for our environment because God created it. We must not let animals die, unfortunately, because of some of our endeavors. We shouldn't pollute the waters. We shouldn't throw plastic in them and, and, and emit uh, uh, unnecessary emissions that can cause devastating harm to animals and plants. We must take care of the world. But on the other end, it is not climate change that is going to cause this world, the current world, to be destroyed. It's the sinful nature of man. There will be a new heaven and new earth, not because of climate change, but because, behold, God has to make all things new. Even if you change the world's climate, and men are here, the world is not changing. God has to change us. Hallelujah. So, yes, there will be a new heaven. Yes, there will be a new earth. And God is going to be the one to change that. Now, John is walking around. And in order for him to describe it, look at what he does. He can't describe it properly. He has to use the negatives to describe it. And what I mean by negative. In describing it, he can only tell you what it isn't. He can't tell you what it is. So he gets to the part where he says, this is a place where, look at this. He says, uh, uh, when, he, when he saw it, he saw it passed away and he saw that it was new. He said, this is a place. And in order to describe it, he says, where God will wipe away every tear. So he's telling you what it's like by telling you what it doesn't have. He's saying that when I saw this place, and he's trying to describe what he's feeling. He can't really explain that to you. So he has to tell you what it isn't. And so he said, in this place, there are no tears. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about all the things that cause us to cry. Did you cry last year? I'm sure you did if you were a human being. There's probably a moment or two you shed a tear. Did you see something that really broke your heart? Have you ever been saddened? Have you ever been bitter? Have you ever been hurt? Have you ever looked back and thought about something that really devastated you? And all those feelings that you feel, you might be watching me in this camera right now and still carrying those feelings of hatred and bitterness and hurt and, and disdain for something, for something somebody did to you or the loss of a loved one, you just can't get over the loss of that broken marriage. He says all of the feelings that are known to mankind. When God revealed to him the new Jerusalem. The only thing he could describe this new feeling was by saying none of that is there. For God has wiped away every tear and 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 here's the thing the only trace of memory you will have will not be of pain hallelujah look at this it's like this do you remember in kindergarten the kid that stepped on your shoe no you don't you don't even remember kindergarten in other words 
Imagine if you remember that kid in kindergarten and you are now a 40-year-old man still tight in kindergarten. <laughs> Memories, they have a way of fading. And there are things that you're holding on to right now that are closer to your memory bank and is hurting you. God will wipe away all of that. No record of it. And they will, you know, look at this. He says in the place they'll, he'll wipe away the tears from their eyes. He says, there's no more death. In other words, look at, look at what mankind's greatest fear is. Nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to catch Corona because they're scared they're going to die. Nobody wants to, to get a disease. Nobody wants to get shot. Nobody wants to die. And John says in this place, that looming fear of death is no longer there. You see, the reason John is failing to describe this place is the same thing like if you were to describe to a man who's been blind from birth, you're trying to explain to him what colors are. It's almost impossible. And John is getting a glimpse of heaven. And he's saying, I can't really tell you what I'm feeling, the joy that is here. I can't tell you what it feels like to not fear death. I can only tell you that those things in this place, when the lambs, and that's why, that's why in the scripture, the, the, uh, 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 he who sat on the throne, God turned to him and says, I'm making all things new. It's done. John, John would have understood that to mean like, this is really brand new. This is like nothing we have ever experienced before. No death, no anxiety, no nothing. He shall wipe away the tears from their eyes. Hallelujah. There will be no more death. Hallelujah. Look at that. He says there'll be no more death. And uh, uh, he says no more crying, no more mourning. No more pain, for the old things have passed away. And there in the middle of it, he comes down and he says, look, look, God has made his dwelling place among his people. You know what makes heaven heaven? The fact that God is there. If you remove God from heaven, and you say, you know, like like uh, as preachers, we give this analogy sometime, but it's a flawed analogy. We say, if you get to heaven and you have the streets of gold and you have the pearly gates and you have all of these things that heaven has, but God wasn't there, would you still like heaven? And some people are saying to themselves, oh, uh, yeah, because I'll be good. But why that's flawed, and preachers say that because they're trying to see if you love God or you love what he gives. But the reality is, there is never such a place with no crying, no mourning, no streets of gold, impurity, no new heavens and new earth, and God is not there. Such a place cannot happen. The reason those things are there is because God is there. When you remove God, you remove heaven. And what is left is a fallen state of chaos that is headed to destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, I could talk and go on and on about what heaven will be like. Here's what I want to close and say to you today. I, uh, 
I've got a last scripture I'm going to put up there, Sevi, in a second. I uh, oftentimes would take a drive around the neighborhoods I grew up in, just to drive around to watch how things have changed. Have you ever done that? I've done that in the land of my birth. I had the privilege of going back and driving around the community. There are places that I drive and I see, I go back to the old high school and I see how it's changed. There's some places I've seen just torn down that were bad when I was young, but now just totally terrible. I mean, abandoned, destroyed. Sometimes you pass sites that you remember. Unfortunately for me in New York, this was my reality in a bad era. I remember where that brother was killed. Or shot. I remember where such and such got arrested. And I remember those people and friends of mine, how they had dreams and hopes. You drive by and you see the old cemeteries and you see all this stuff. And sometimes I get the feeling of, God, is there a way to restore this place? That it can go back to the original. Because I know that abandoned house where people are going in there to use drugs. When it was first built, it didn't look like that. I know that hospital that is now not functioning anymore. Right there (laughs) across from Kings Park. It didn't look like that. I know this park when it was first built, it was beautiful. The grass was green. The, uh, it, it, it was, it was, it didn't look run down like this now where you have homeless tents set up and lives abandoned. And that homeless man in there, when he started out, God, he didn't start out like that. What happened in their lives? What is it that is causing everything to become worn out and run down? And is there something that can restore it? Oftentimes what happens is, is people come into the community and in order to restore it, this is what they do. They got to move everything that once was out. Well, I want you to know there's a God who's going to restore all of mankind. Hallelujah. And in that place, there'll be no chance of it being worn out and run down anymore. Because behold, he makes all things new. There's a scripture I want to close with. Put up that last scripture for me. Hallelujah. Yeah, in the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse number 11. I believe it's 11. Look at what the Bible says. Jesus is talking to his disciples again. And he's telling them in this portion of scripture. He's talking about being persecuted and going through hard times. He said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Do y'all see that there? So, so when you live for me, and people laugh and ridicule you and people mock you and you, you, at times they tell you you're missing out because you're a Christian. Or they tell you Christianity is crazy and following Jesus is, a, is the stupidest thing you could do. 
Look at verse 12. Jesus boldly says, rejoice and be glad. Why, why, you know, sometimes Jesus says some things that sometimes make me say, what, why do you say that? Why, if people are coming at me, why, if things are falling apart, why, if the world is in chaos, why is, and Christians have no voice, and why, and then Jesus come and say, rejoice, rejoice. Not only does he say rejoice, but he says, and be glad. But then when you read Revelation 21 and 22, you could see why he says, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, right? And uh, put it on. I think that's it. Amen. In the same way they, they persecuted. But what I wanted you to see from that, you could put, you could put the camera back on me. The, 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 what I really wanted you to see from that is the fact that Jesus can say to you in the midst of everything you're going through, rejoice and be glad. Why? Because our reward is great. What God has in store for you and I is great. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the promise of Jesus. The reason Jesus died wasn't to secure a Benz or a Bentley for you. Don't get me wrong. Get you a Benz or a Bentley. It wasn't so you could rock a gold chain. Don't get me wrong. Get a gold chain. You know, it's like that old story. The man said to, <laughs> said to, to God, God, would you please allow me to bring some of all that I've worked so hard for on earth into heaven? And God has a rule. But God made an exception. This is a story. It's not in the Bible, right? God made the exception and said, all right, I'll allow you to bring some stuff. So he went and he had gold and he packed a suitcase, two suitcases full of gold. He said, I'm going to go to heaven. I worked hard for this gold. I invested in this. I'm taking this with me. So he got to the, you know how they always say, get to the gate and Peter's there. <laughs> and Peter said, I got to check your bags before you come in. And when he came up to the gate, he came with his bags and Peter said, uh-uh, you know the rule. You can't take it with you. He said, no, no, no. Check the books, Peter. God said, I, I, he made an exception for me. So Peter checked the books and he said, yeah, you're right. God made an exception, but I got to check what's in the bag. So Peter opens the bag and sees the goal and says, okay, you got, I'm a little puzzled. The man said, why? He said, why are you bringing street to heaven? <laughs> Ah, you get the point of the story. The things that you think Christ died for in that place, the value is in the relationship with him who dwells. That's why the song that Israel wrote, he said, your presence is heaven to me. He was right. When the three Hebrew boys went into the fiery furnace, they were surrounded by the presence of God in fire. They were in heaven. You see, it is the absence of God that makes hell hell. Not fire. Eternal torment is a place where the Bible describes as utter darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, there is what is a place where God does not sustain? 
You see, that's what the climate change people don't understand. They think that we can, and don't get me wrong, I'm for protecting the environment, but they think that by protecting the environment, we can sustain the earth. The truth is, though, nobody even knows what's sustaining it in the first place. Why doesn't it drop out of orbit? Why does why does it revolve? Why doesn't the sun just collapse? What is holding it together? The Bible says, in him all things were made by him and for him, and without him nothing was made that was made and he's the one that is sustaining the world and he's the one who's going to make all things new christ died to secure that you might be watching me this morning and you might not be thinking at all about heaven i know even in the churches of jesus christ it's not even a thought man But the whole reason for Jesus coming was so we could get to the end of the story. So that you and I can live with him. Man, I I would love to really break this down in some more Bible studies. Even the chapter before when it talks about Jesus and the millennial reign and and people still wanting to overthrow him at the end of a, a thousand years. The heart of men is, you know, chapter 21. Occur- I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. God bless y'all this morning. God bless y'all. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, would you pray with me today? Say, Father God, I ask you to come into my heart. And you could say those words at home. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of every sin. God, you said, I go to prepare a place for you. And I want to be in that place. Forgive me of every sin. Help me to long for heaven. And God, I thank you that I don't have to fear anything because my life is being sustained by you now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for coming to church online today. I really miss my wife today. I know she's over in the corner. and uh, But thank you for being with me. Hey, do us a favor. If you have not considered partnering with us, would you do so today? If you don't tithe to any place, would you consider tithing to us? Consider giving a love gift to our church. These are the ways you can do so. They're all on the screen. Cash App Church City USA, Zell Church City USA at gmail.com or the regular website. Go there. Every bit helps us to preach this gospel in the way that we've done it today. It's going to help us in the future to do more for the kingdom of God. It's going to help us to be a blessing to many others. And it is your giving that keeps us going. We've got a lot of dreams and a lot of plans at Church City, and it is you who help us to make this come to pass. Would you consider just taking a moment today and sowing a seed into our church? Hallelujah. We thank you for everyone who is going to take up that challenge and give. And we thank you for every faithful tither who continues to give. God bless you all today. And I am gone in the midst of the crisis. We are always going to be focused on who Christ is. God bless you today. Amen.
Thank you for watching once again. We pray blessings on you and your family. And we're doing a tremendous work here in New York City. We believe the Lord has called us here. It cost us. We are grateful for everyone that sows into our ministry. And if you're watching and you feel led to sow, you can go to churchcityusa.com. You can sow into our ministry. Hey, listen, every bit help. It doesn't matter how big or small. We bless God for you. And uh, we love you. And we want to continue to do the work of the ministry. 